From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in collaborative Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk games and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we're talking with Julia Karen Tatar, game designer at Spry Fox, to discuss moving to a bigger team. And so, if everyone's ready, let's start. Welcome to the clubhouse. Julia! <laughs> Hi! Hey! Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Sorry, so, I look like I'm in a dungeon or something. It's very <laughs> dark. You look like you might um, be like on the Blair Witch Project 5.0 or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's very appropriate because I'm uh, I'm in upstate New York, so it's... Oh, so very, it is haunted. Yeah, it looks like it's haunted because it is haunted. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm excited about this topic. Julie, we were going to have you on for another topic, and I think we ended up deciding that that was inf- interesting and fine and whatever. Mm-hmm. But we sort of hit on, this would be way better. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because we've been kind of on a run lately of like talking about like production stuff. Yeah. And th- that is like, I don't know, everything about game dev is thrilling. I mean, we, we, do some, we do a lot of complaining, like everything about game dev is hard. Right, yeah. Everything about game dev is thrilling. But... Mm-hmm. but <laughs> Let, let me have this, Ellen. Okay, all right, sure, <laughs> sure, Mark. But I think the thing about production, especially when you have your own career and your own experiences, like you can try out thirty different game engines, you can get right. a good idea from different languages, you yep. can understand different disciplines. But unless you're in these different environments, you don't know a lot about them, and yeah. so it's it's always no matter how much experience you have or how much sort of research or you know you've done, uh, it's always you're always learning something new. So I am really thrilled because this is very sort of um, it's a different angle on it that we've done before. Yeah, there's like a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of crossover between production and game design. I mean, I'm sure yeah. that's probably already known by most people, but like there's a lot. And it's it's a very hard skill to like learn. Like I feel like I'm constantly struggling with what production is. Yeah. And that's part of what brought up this topic is like I went from a very, very small indie team with a very different lens of like what production was to a much bigger team where it's like production is very critical not that it's not critical for very small indie games but it's just different you know yeah. so it's yeah. a lot of like learning and adjusting yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah production is something that emerges from your concept of the game but also from the people that you're working with and the timeline and budget that you have it's just like there's so many different inputs that go into what production is that it makes sense that it would just be very contextual and it would change based on the team that you're on yeah um um so let's do a quick Maybe like a tour to Julia of the different teams you've been a part of, because you've been a part of lots of different teams that are really, you know, different from one another. Yeah. Yeah. So I started my uh, career. Um, I actually wanted to go into educational games, um, but I found that at the time, and they were like, uh, it was like really hard to get into. Like all the educational games that were around at the time were pretty awkward and not very fun. And so I was like, I want to know how to make real games so I can make educational games. And then I just ended up being in uh, real games for much longer. So (laughs) so I started my career in actually casual games. I I worked at a casual game company called Arcadium uh, and they made online flash games, which that is a really, that really dates me. Um, <laughs> that's what we did. Uh, and I was there for quite a long time. And it was, it was a pretty decent sized company, but um, the projects themselves were pretty small. Like we would have like maybe one or two programmers and, you know, one or two artists and a producer and a designer. So it, it was a big company, but it felt very indie, like in the way that we would produce games. Like yeah. it didn't take a large team to make these games. Um, and we would make a lot of games at the same time. So um, in that sense, it was like a very close knit group. Um, and then after Arcadium, I joined my husband in um, starting uh, Untame. And like we worked on Mushroom 11 and there was four of us, like mm-hmm. two couples making the game. We had Fun. him and me. And um, the artist and his wife uh, helped being in production. Um, so it was a very, very small group. And it was very, like, you know, from the edge of our seats trying to like, <laughs> learn how to do game dev on a very small budget and everything like that. And so I did that for uh, three years, four years. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I worked for the game agency and the educational game. So yay. Yay. Um, 
I also feel like that was pretty small. It's another Arcadium kind of situation where the team was pretty big, but each project had just a handful of, of creators on it, mm-hmm. if I think correctly. For the most part, like there's like, you know, maybe one or two programmers and one or two artists and a designer um, kind of huddling. Uh, and so when I moved to Spry Fox, this was my very first time working at a company uh, that had so many people working on one game. Like, yeah. so it was very, very different, a very big adjustment. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it's, and it's been like, you know, it, it, with each of these, like you were saying, each of these groups, like, even though maybe structurally they're the same, their cultures are different. So yeah. there's a lot of different aspects of like production or aspects of development that are very different that you have, you know, each team or each company that you go on to, you have to kind of like learn their culture and, and try to figure out like your space and how you fit in and how you communicate with other people and how you like operate smoothly. And that can sometimes take a little bit, but it's also really cool. Cause you can see like different patterns of how things get done yeah. and like how different companies do stuff. And it's really cool to learn about. So, yeah. Lots of differences, but it's also fun to see the similarities too. You know, yes, yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, uh, can do you know approximately how many people are on your team now? Yeah, we have about 30 people on our one game. Oh, my! Uh, so <laughs> yeah. it's, that's a lot of people. You just went like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, it's funny because like a lot of people that I work with have come from AAA where it's like, oh, yeah, 50, 100 people. You right. know, like I have yeah. no concept of how to wrap my head around yeah. that, that size, but it's uh, yeah, it's been it's. It's pretty large, but I mean, the funny thing is, it's pretty large, but it's also very indie at at, at heart. Mm-hmm. Like they're very, they're very um, nimble, and they're very, uh, how do I say it? They they they're a very like flat organization, which is like re- it's really hard to do that, yeah, um, and do that well. But I think that they do a really good job of like um, trying to encourage like a very flat organization and encourage a lot of like spontaneous uh production Mm. and part of that is um you know similar to the you know arcadium or even the game agency i think it is really important to have small groups like it's it's hard to talk to like 30 people right so you have small groups working on just different aspects of the game and so you still have that same structure of like one or two programmers and like one or two artists and, and a designer or whatever so you still have that like clump but it's just kind of focused on like one feature or aspect of the game instead of like a whole game. Oh, that's interesting. I uh, I, I share a little bit of your background because I uh, when I was working at Pixel Lakes, that's kind of how we worked on certain games. It's like you'd have like one programmer and a couple of artists um, working on one game individually at a time. So there was really only like teams of two or three uh, working on something. Um, and so I had grown accustomed to that when I moved into um, when I worked, started working at Future Club, there was, uh, I, I guess my team size increased to like main team of six, five or six. But also like we would randomly pull in other people to work with us on stuff. So the team, like the size changed uh, over, over is, is changing, I guess, over the course of like, yeah. our development time, which is kind of weird. Yeah, it's not just the, the team you're working with directly. It's the pool of talent available in the yeah. building. Yeah. Which is like, depends on the company you're at, but sometimes that's, permeable and sometimes it matters and sometimes you don't think about it right 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 but uh, like but we've never i've never been i've never had an experience where i'm only working on a specific part of the game i guess i'm like technically that's what i'm doing because i'm the coder right and i'm not i'm not doing art stuff Mm -hmm. but like i'm not like only coding this level or only coding this aspect of the game Mm -hmm. i'm like coding a lot of the game the whole thing yeah Yeah. effectively (laughs) 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 um so like i i find that experience to be fascinating have you felt that what 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 feels unique or interesting about that that's a weird question to ask but what is that like of like kind of owning the entire game versus a little bit of it yeah 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 uh, i don't know in some ways it feels very similar and in some ways it feels very like different right like it's and i think the the main the main thing that i have that that like is the the biggest obvious thing between moving from a very, very small indie company to like a bigger team is like communication. Yeah. Right. Like it's, 
And it's it's like it's like one thing where it's like, oh, I, I, I have like a language. I like understand these groups of people and like we understand the whole entire game system, right? We're doing the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So like we have all this built in knowledge of like what these systems are and how they plug into it. And when you work with like bigger teams, all of a sudden like that's kind of lost and you have to build up like a really important vernacular, like a shared um, vocabulary that everyone understands. Yeah. And when you add more and more people, that becomes much harder and, and just trickier in general. And so like, that's like an interesting thing that I feel like we spend a lot of time at um, like my current company is like trying to make sure that like everyone understands what words mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> which seems like simple, but it's really hard. Like yeah. Yeah. take the word event. Like that's just such a loaded term, yep. right? <laughs> yes. Like you can't, you like like designers are going to be like an event right it's a thing that happens in a game right and the programmers are going to be like no that's the thing that's called and the, you know yeah. so it's, yeah. it's very it's very very tricky and so we have to be like okay well content designers are going to want to like use a specific word to address what an event is so mm-hmm. we can use the event to be for you know so like it's like a lot of effort is put into these communication channels but it's so important because yeah. it's just really easy to like wait, what did you mean? Did you want, did you want that thing? Like, wait, I, I thought it was this thing that you were talking about. And so it's like, it's really interesting to, to like try to like work around or put time into like what words mean or like what features mean and like making sure everyone like understands. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense that, you know, of course it would, you've got more people, you got more communication channels, and so there's a lot more work going into sorting those communication channels out and making sure that they're consistent across different team members and different, you know, groupings and so on and so forth. But, yeah, to your point about it being really critical, because each group is maybe only working on one feature, if they misunderstand something, those problems scale up really fast. Yeah. And it could get super – kind of makes me want to pull on my hair a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it makes it makes sense to put in that effort because, I mean, how else could you make a coherent game with so many people working on it, right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Do you have like a dictionary, like a manual? <laughs> like this word means this- there probably is one, but I think that like we just try to drill in words that we've mm. decided like okay, th- we're going to call this this from now on, <laughs> and, uh, and and then like I don't know, we're just. Yeah, you just have to sort of stake a claim to this vocabulary for this thing. And if someone if, so, if something else is built later on that maybe is a better fit for that word, uh, either it's time to refactor and rewrite all these all the documentation and, and design documents, or that word is taken, pick a your second best. Yeah. Word, yeah. Refactor right? your vocabulary. Yeah. Well, like it's interesting yeah. you talk about like um the the different team sizes is not just the people working on a game. It's how many of a certain discipline are working on a game. How yes. many people are are on one corner of a system, and so it's it's within that it's wheels within wheels. Like Stephen, you're talking about moving to to a larger team, but that you are still uh, the, you're the you're the main programmer. Right on the game I'm working on, um, I'm working with uh, two other programmers, right. mm-hmm. and we are sometimes we do a lot more. We work on a lot more of the same systems. They touch each other a lot more yeah. than when, say, you and I worked on Widgets Hatchel. Right. Yeah. Or we we really, and that was a big part of what made the working process on Widgets Hatchel work for us, mm-hmm. is that it, we didn't step on each other's toes too much. We still did. Yeah. But like, because you can't avoid it. Right. But on this project, it we had to design things around it. And that includes things like, if you, if you want to change the name of something, that's a, an agenda item in a meeting. Oh. Like, you can't just do it. Yeah. Inle- unless you really trust that it's going to be okay with the other people because there's a lot that goes into calling something like a, re- a result versus a return or whatever uh-huh. you know um that relates to all the other things that you're you don't actually you're not actually looking at yeah and so you need to have a fuller picture and like that can be that involves a lot of trust but also you have to do a lot of communication and sometimes it at least on on my team it requires all of us to kind of know about what the other people are doing in a way that is doesn't feel that efficient mm. but still feels faster than not doing it yeah sure you know <laughs> There's a lot of things that feel like they're not efficient right off the bat, but they're like really invaluable. Like one of the things from a game design perspective um, is that like when I was in indie, it was just like whatever, how do I say it? Like we have a lot of constraints because like we're indie and we don't have that much money, right? right? But we also 
are working by ourselves and we're kind of working on our baby and and so like as working on our baby we just want to like polish the hell out of something right like we yeah. just like I have this vision of like what is in my head and like I'm just going to keep working on it and working on it and working on it until it's beautiful and then like oh my god maybe three months have passed and I have no idea like why I put so much work into this feature right um and then like transitioning to a bigger team it's so important to think about things in like in like phases like what's the minimal viable mm -hmm. thing that we can test yeah. as soon as we can test it. And like some of that is like very good design principles, right? You should be doing these things. And another thing is like making sure that everyone else is like, wait, what are you doing? Like, what, what, what are you working on? Like, what are we building toward? And it's just like trying to like, um, just be better at like, not, not polishing the heck out of a feature, right? Yeah. Like just trying to get like the minimal basis of like testing it out like what's what do you need to get it to function to get some feedback that's valuable and then just leave it at that and then plan for you know what is the thing that you want to do next and how to make it better and like putting it in like stages yeah and it seems like that is a lot of like additional work but it's so critical to make sure that you're not crunching that you're not like putting a lot of time into something that like you're gonna have to pivot toward so Right, and I imagine that's you know even more important when there are people working on particular parts of a game because like if somebody's working on level two and level one and level three are communicating with one another and level two is not, then like all of a sudden the transition from level one to level two makes no sense and like the game breaks all of a sudden. You know, like there's a lot of things that can go wrong if people aren't in interacting with one another, even if they're like three separate siloed aspects of a game right? yeah 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 that what where the permeability between those silos happen mm -hmm. it like i guess you have to be open for it to be anywhere yeah but you also have to like keep control of it yeah so people can just get through their day and get their work done yeah without having to like actually like ping around to the whole everything else to make sure this will fit with everything else right you need to know if it will fit with everything else yeah and that guides your decision making and it's like, as I talk about it, I'm like, it's sort of an unsolvable problem. It's a tough one. It kind of, you know, honestly, it reminds me of rain barrels. What? Let All me right. explain. I would like to hear the rest of this. Okay. <laughs> so you got a, you know, you've got a house with a roof or whatever, and a bunch of rain comes off of it. And you want to catch the rain from your house roof because you want to use it on your garden or your house plants or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just hypothetically. Uh -huh. Right. <laughs> um, well, a lot of rain, when it rains... Um, a lot of water comes off a roof, right? And so yeah. you can put a rain barrel out there, but it might fill up pretty quickly. Yeah. And so then maybe you have another rain barrel and it, you know, right next to it and you can like, they can both fill up, something like that. But you, you know, ideally you want to keep them kind of like at an equilibrium because mm -hmm. it just makes more sense than you have, like you can get more water throughout one rain barrel than another. So one thing that people do to kind of create equilibrium between these different reservoirs is have just a tube like one tube into the other one. Mm -hmm. oh. And so they balance each other out, you know? And so um, it kind of reminds me of that. Like each, it's all water. You couldn't mix it all together into one big pool if you wanted to. And it, yeah. would, it would be that way. It would, might not be as easy to deal with um, for whatever purposes you're using it for. Um, but on the other hand, like maybe you don't want to have just one half full barrel and one super full barrel. You want to keep them a little bit more equal, you know, at an equilibrium or at least you don't want one to overflow. The, the tube in this case is communication. The tube is communication. Okay, okay. Ellen, right? Here's why I love this metaphor. Cause it's <laughs> because super twisted and there's a way kind of to get this done without the tubes between barrels. Yeah. But it requires knowing so much about the contours of your roof. Oh yeah. And, and about <laughs> like the rainfall direction and the east side of the house versus the north side of the house to yeah. place the barrels in the exact right spot. So that you need to know all that in advance. Yeah. And then you can get a perfect distribution of rain in all the barrels. Yeah. Or you don't have to waste all that time. <laughs> you can just put some tubes between them. Yep. And that is why I love this metaphor. Okay. I'm glad that you did because, you know, I committed to it, but about halfway through, I was like, why did I take us down this, <laughs> down this path? I don't know if it helps. I'll, I'll find a link. Someone, there's, someone's got a picture out there. It makes whatever. <laughs> Julia, back to you. <laughs> Please save us. <laughs> About rain barrels? I don't know. Yeah, I know. Just like communication has to happen regularly. And it has yeah. to be in small enough amounts that people can understand it. Right? But it has to, has to happen regularly. Otherwise, you're going to get out of sync. So. Oh, yeah, it does all the time. And like, uh, you know, it's, it's another challenge for like uh, our studio. It's uh, we're all remote. Right. Uh -huh. So it's, uh, it's it's an additional challenge of like communication. But we've been 
pretty good at like, you know, just like one thing that has helped us is like, just like getting like anytime there's like a question of like, hey, I'm kind of confused. I'm just going to like tag you and like ask for a huddle and we're just going to talk it out yeah. until I like what I'm doing. Right. Or mm-hmm. I know or I know that we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. And so having spontaneous conversations is like so important. Yeah. Um, and then having like check ins, like most, com- you know, book companies do this. But like I think the spontaneous conversations are really helpful because it's like. Uh, just sometimes you're working on something and you're like, I forgot exactly what this, this is doing again. Can you please help me remember? <laughs> or can we please just talk it out until like we both kind of understand like what exactly we're asking? Because it's really easy to have miscommunications. Like it's so easy. Yeah. And part of it is like just people's assumptions. Like yeah. sometimes I'll just like ask like, uh, like, hey, is this possible to do? And then like somebody will be like, oh my God, like, can we not, you know, like, <laughs> have to do this? It's like, no, 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 no. I just wanted to ask, like, you know, like, how much work is this? You know, so it's just like these assumptions of like, are you at, you know, is this is this a request to be put into a task or is this just like a, a request for like understanding like how expensive a feature might be or something yeah. like that? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh right. my goodness, yeah. I totally relate to that so hard. So hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the programmer, so like I gotta veto a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like as programmers, like I mean, I've I've done a little bit of programming, but not yeah. a lot. But it's just like there's like this want of like, okay, you've given me a problem, I have to solve this, right? Like, yeah. and this desire to like want to like get everything that maybe the designer has asked for done, and it's like, no, I'm an idiot. Don't trust me. Tell me like, <laughs> like correct my assumptions yeah. on how easy things are, how hard things are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah. And on a small team, a lot of that happens naturally, right? right? right. I, th- yeah. I think about the team yeah, I'm yeah. on, which is fairly small. And we just have like a chat. Let's just one channel of chat that all the talk goes into. Mm-hmm. And that's enough for us. Yeah. Right. Because when we talk about things, it's usually like there's not a lot to to gum up the works in, yeah. in terms of communication. Yeah. So we, you know, um, occasionally we'll find ourselves like forgetting what we talked about last Tuesday because we talked about so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> but like it's not it's not the it's not a problem big enough to require more infrastructure. Right. Um, necessarily. Yeah. So on balance, it works. But then when you have a larger team, you need more of that sort of deliberate connection and you need more of a framework to manage it. And it's not just about like like the sort of example you were citing, Julia, which is the sort of like I need some input or, or understanding on this from the person I'm asking. Yeah. And, and that huddle. That's that's useful for why you called that huddle, but it's also sort of like the knock-on effect is it's useful for that person to just get visibility into what you're doing yes. because it doesn't come as naturally on a larger project. Right, right. And so right. It, it it just sort of like it's a consequence of that kind of thing. Even if you feel like it's like, oh, do I really need to waste this person's time with this? It's like, well, it'll help me and I and it'll give me some confidence. That's great. But it actually does also provide a service to them, yeah. which is to let them know but without them having to seek out that information. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the scale of how helpful that is will change from interaction to interaction. But the regularity of that, and it's, it's tricky to maintain, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I think about, like, how, uh, you know, I'll spend a week implementing something into the game, and then I'll present it to the group. And I'll be like, I basically just wrote this script. I don't, it's hard to explain, but it does this thing. A lot of times people just like, yeah, that's cool, right? Because it's like, (laughs) well, part of it is like they know it it helps with it helps what they've asked me to do or it's something that they know took a lot of work because it took me a week to do it. Um, And so like they will they'll feel satisfied with the work that I'm doing, regardless of how much they fully understand what that means for the project. Hmm. Um, But also, I think like, I don't know, they respect the work that I'm doing, too. So I think that's part (laughs) of it, you know? Like they, like they, I, they asked me to do a thing. Um, and even if they, um, don't fully see big picture what it will do, they know that ultimately our goals align and that we want to see this game get made. Yeah. Um. Well, in programming terms, they're performing yeah. a unit test on you, right? They're yeah. They're giving you inputs and then you provide them with outputs, and if it meets their their expectations, they don't really care how you did it. Yeah, yeah. But, but they need to they need to get those output to validate that, right? Right, right, right. Exactly. So that's a, that's an aspect of it too is, is like showing people results or progress um as you're going through it cuz right yes. not necessarily just trusting it's going to work the way like right. you know, it's not just the top of like okay here's the information you need to do the thing I'll see you in 6 months right that's <laughs> right? yeah so that's scary mm. but what you're I mean even but right you want to trust and verify 
Um, but also I think what you're describing, Stephen, is an, an, uh, a setting where when you're sharing those things, you're not necessarily going into all the details. Right. And they, and they already trust you with that. Yeah. So now kind of going back to our topic, you know, the topic of the day, I'm curious about the differences between large and small teams when it comes to building trust and then also like maintaining it and yeah. how, like how large teams create an environment where that trust can be established and maintained because like those frequent touch points between different people are moments to build trust and to build understanding. Right. But with a much bigger team, like, how do you manage that? Yeah, that's excellent. I feel like I'm learning a lot um, with this team because they, they handle it so well. Mm -hmm. Like part of it is um, part of it is that like Sprite Fox has been around for a long time and they've made amazing games and everyone there is like, really talented at what they do and also has a really good under whole understanding of like game development in general like right. game design like i feel like almost everybody understands design really well which is like amazing but so i think it started at like building up the trust of like a lot of like core people that have been there for a year and then when you bring on more and more people and as you like grow up that's like always a scare for studios is like how do you maintain your culture how do you yeah. maintain trust how do you maintain that communication channels and i think for us what has helped is like a number of things like one the spontaneous creativity but also like understanding that we're like all over the place like all over the world so that adds like a stressor but like having core hours where you know that people are always going to be there always going to be available um so you can like plan your meetings accordingly so you can always like have um cross communication um not being scared to ping people like not being scared to like bug people uh and um also putting trying really hard to like not have like we use like slack around a lot so mm -hmm. like not having like private dms because uh mm -hmm. even though it's really natural to have private dms uh, uh information gets lost and invisibility gets lost and yeah. so a lot of people ask like people like hey i actually don't know how to do this thing because i i feel stupid maybe i don't understand like how to download something and like can you help me instead of like if that were a dm like that information might have been lost to somebody else who had the same question. Yeah. And so like not like trying really hard to put everything publicly um, and then trying. But you also don't want to make a lot of noise, too. So just like reminding people like, hey, if you're actually not in this channel or you don't care about this topic, like maybe just not subscribe to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or turn off notifications for it. So like making sure that like there's a lot of visibility and a lot of communication, but also like trying to manage so things just don't become like, oh, my God, I, there's too many things going on. It's hard for me to focus on conversations and stuff like that. Yeah. Another thing that's really helpful is that we have regular play tests, like even early on. And, mm. and to be fair, this was actually very helpful as an indie, too. Like we would go to like different um, events to just get a lot of that. Um, playtest feedback like yeah. as indie like with four people you kind of need events because it's like oh it's the feedback like i'm giving myself feedback it's like, it becomes like a loop and it's hard to get like actual feedback from gamers or from users or from other people um but it is when you're in a big company it's much easier to be like all right we're gonna have like a team play test and and we're gonna like either focus on these issues or just like keep up the cadence of like having play tests and that helps us like with our infrastructure because we're pushing and we're testing builds in the pipeline and all that stuff to make sure that things are flowing correctly and that we don't have regressions but it also helps give insight for the whole team of like what's happening it also opens up conversation to everybody that's like oh hey i have like an opinion on this on this thing that i'm not directly working for but like i you know i have opinions on like how the U the ui system is working or how the you know the the activities are working or how the economy is working and so that helps like filter and we we, we filter all that feedback and we posted up to people's teams, the small groups that are working on them and they can like process them. And sometimes it's feedback that's like, yeah, I know that. And that's like in that, that other phase that we won't get to for another like three weeks or, Hey, that's really important feedback. And I'm going to like apply it and get it into the game as soon as possible. So that's also been really good in helping trust. Okay. Ellen's going to say glom at some point during this floor. I'm sure. Be ready. Okay. <laughs> But I wanted to bring it up because Glom is great. Uh -huh. It's a very fun game. Um, I think, have I described uh, playing Glom with my family before? Oh, okay. I'm going to lean back a little bit. <laughs> Tell me this story. I'm excited. Okay, so first off, 
it's very difficult to teach my dad anything about games, I guess. Um, because he had he had a hard time. Real quick, is this gonna sell Glom to our listeners? Okay, good point. Um, <laughs> Glom, <laughs> my my dad Great is timing. very unique. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else understood the game very quickly, right? Yeah. Um, and then and and we played it. Um, it was like a group of know, eight or nine people. We played it over. A oh wow! Time. Yeah, yeah. People got it. Wow. Right. We, I mean, when we were doing playtesting, we never had a group that big, did we? I don't think so. I think six was our yeah, biggest. Six was yeah, the maybe. biggest one I was yeah, playing. Yeah. 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 So we got Dang. a lot of people playing. It. Okay. It was really fun. Everybody like uh, went around the table and they read their gloms and it was really exciting. Some of the younger folk, like my cousin, who's fifteen. Yep. Um, she did the best. Oh yeah. Like she has. Oh, when you're good fi- gloms. when you're fifteen, <laughs> you yeah you put I think you want to be good yeah. at things like this. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a very fun family game. Um, that uh, I think is I, I had a good time with. I was a little nervous about it because my family is uh, um, really competitive. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I know. It was shocking, right? Um, so I was a little worried that like bringing Glom to them would be maybe disastrous. But it worked out. If it worked for my family, it could work for your family. It's, it's the ultimate test of <laughs> durability of this game. <laughs> McGregor approves. Yes. And, and, it, and if you're hearing this and for some reason you don't know what Glom is, right. um, well, you can find out at NiceGames.com club slash glom where you can see a video that explains the game Mm -hmm. you can see all of the rules of the game you can get links to go buy the game which you can get at retailers all over the place including amazon which to us is very special Mm -hmm. like the fact that a thing we made is out in the world so if for no other reason than to validate our feelings (laughs) as human beings on this planet uh go ahead and buy glom yeah nice games.club slash glom Yeah, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about like a tight feedback loop being an element of building trust, but it it does make sense, right? Because you're able to see how different people's ideas, including your own, are like discussed by the team, interpreted by the team, you know, how other people react to it, and then also see it quickly like shape the future of the game. And... I think it totally makes sense that being able to just see that happen over and over again in a way that becomes um, maybe not necessarily predictable, but like you can count on the process working is a way for trust to be established and to grow because you know then that you are actually, like you are, you are not just speaking into the void. You are contributing ideas. You are exactly. having an impact on the game. Exactly. Right? And other it's people so important that. that like, that people feel heard, right? Yeah. Like if you feel strong about something, you should speak up about it. And maybe there are arguments in the team and that's actually fine. Like mm-hmm. having arguments is like encouraged and like, you know, that's how resolution happens, right? Or that's how compromise happens. And then also just like, you know, if if people have these, you know, concerns or issues or something that they, they feel really passionate about, like just making sure like, yeah, we're actually going to address it in this part of the like schedule or we're, 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 we're hearing you and we're going to like, we're going to do these things. Um, and that, that helps build trust because there's nothing worse than like feeling like you have lots of opinions and something. And then it's just like, you're shouting into the void and it never gets yeah. heard. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah. You can't have like, a sense of ownership and like you just can't be at your creative best when you aren't feeling when you're not feeling the project you know and how can you feel the project if you don't feel like anything you're doing is actually showing up yeah. in it yeah that totally makes sense i just hadn't thought about it that way you know i thought about trust is really like an interpersonal thing mm. and that there are processes i guess or like you know certain things you can put in place like regular events that help build that trust but you know even just the way that the product takes shape and evolves from play pl- from play test to play test is something that builds trust. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think I, about that. I wonder how that scales with like larger teams, particularly like having regular play tests and in 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 a feedback loop, like how people express how they're feeling about certain aspects of the game and things like that. Yeah. Like on a small team when you're in a team of 3, right? It's really easy like us three talk about issues or things we're having with nice games club all the time and we can hash it out because we're all together so many issues (laughs) (laughs) all of them um but like as as the as your team grows um it's more difficult to make sure that people who have an issue with the game are able to be heard um and particularly when you have teams of like you know hundreds yeah that's really difficult um well also on a on a especially large team yeah some if you're working on a system or a component of a system on a really large project. Yeah. 
as artists, we maybe don't like this, but you may work better and be happier if you, if your world is constrained to just that. Sure. Yeah. Whereas I think on a midsize or smaller team, it's more important for everyone to have a handle on everything yeah. to a degree. And that degree gets smaller and smaller the bigger team, just for efficiency purposes. Yeah. But at some point, does it go to zero? Where it's like you actually will be more satisfied with your work if you don't know anything about what the narrative team is doing. Yeah. Like I don't love that as a as a as a possible truth, mm-hmm. but maybe. I Julia, what do you think? Because that's a really interesting question. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's really hard to do because if you don't know I mean, I guess I and I've not worked for people with hundreds of people. So I mean maybe that is very practical because how else would you know I feel like I get a sense from people who have worked in big teams that that is kind of like how it is yeah. when you're like you know you're you're working on a very specific segment of the of the game and so you're like you know you're doing all of the like weapons or you're doing all of the like whatever. Like maybe that makes sense because you don't need to understand that context because you can like really focus in on like okay this is the one part of this game that will work. But I feel like in most of the games that I worked with it's really hard to like understand the context the setting the feeling the like the vibe the like artistry like what's the the, what's the the line weight what's the like the color scheme what's the how does it fit in this world if you don't know the narrative and you don't know you don't need to know a lot of it you just need to know like the one line of like yeah what is this world and why do i care and how does my item that i'm making exist in this world and how can i make it like and i think what does scale inversely is the value of knowledge versus trust Mm. so when in a really small team trust is always valuable, but its its value is at its lowest because knowledge is cheap, mm, okay. right? You can learn you can learn whether it's working or not, yeah. very easily because you have your hands in it, right? And the game is a small enough size that you can get that knowledge relatively quickly, right? And if you are working on a big AAA project, knowledge has a very low value because it's hard to get. There's so much of it, yeah. But trust has an incredibly high value, right? And so. Yeah, I guess I'm, I guess the question I was sort of asking, and I guess it's beyond the scope of all of our experiences, is is there a point at which like that trust is so important and so valuable that it replaces knowledge? And can it? But what that I guess that means is you, you hear stories of people in AAA and their little silos and being unfulfilled, not knowing anything. Yeah. If the if they had institutional trust in the way that Julia you're describing, could that alleviate that problem a little bit? Hmm. I think it's a different, to me, I think it's actually a different problem. Yep. But I want to hear what Julia says first. I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like, uh, I feel like he, he, he can't. And I, I feel like, uh, I mean, part of, part of having that trust is having knowledge, right? Like part okay. of the reason why you trust somebody is because it's like, wow, you've done these things in your career, right? Or you've, you've given these talks or you've done this artwork or you've done these things and like, you know, you've learned from it and you're passing this knowledge on to the to the team or whatever department it is. I mean, like that's, it kind of goes hand in hand, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's to say that like, I, I guess that that's not, tr- that's half the story, right? The other half is like when you're learning, right? And trust is like, are you going to put in the effort? Are you going to, you know, be dependable? Are you, are you trying? Are you trying to figure out this, you know, learning systems and, and communication and all the things that you're like, you know, you, your knowledge is, there's a big gap in your knowledge and you're trying to fill it up. So trust is like, you know, are you, are you making progress toward filling it up? Yeah. Um, and so I guess, I guess, so I guess there's different sides of that, mm-hmm. of that trust is like, on the one hand, it's like, are you dependable? And on the other hand, it's like, do you have a lot of knowledge that you can partake? Um, yeah. And I mean, knowledge is also funny because it's like you can have a lot of knowledge and then still feel like I still don't understand anything about games. You yeah. know, like there's just so much that like you you build up and then it just is completely different or the environments are different or the game is different and the systems are different and the economy is different and things change. And like so it's a lot of like flexibility, I guess. Yeah, really dynamic, dynamic systems in a dynamic context. It's crazy. <laughs> But yeah, like to kind of go back to what I was, um, we were just talking about, Mark, like feeling like your work, feeling like you're working in isolation, I think is different than feeling like you're uncertain about the quality of your work. Yeah. And certainly you got to know enough about the project to be able to produce quality work. But I think anyone with with professional experience or maybe even just academic experience, like understands the idea of knowing enough to get the job done. Right, and to do it right. well. You don't have to know everything about everything right. to, to yeah. do the awesome artwork for the weaponry. You need to know enough about the world and the setting and how the weapons are going to be used 
you need to know about, enough about the game to be able to yeah. fit that in from an artistic perspective, but you don't need to know, you know, what events the programmers are using. Like, yeah. you know. Yeah. And how much enough is, is contextual on team size, but right. also probably as much or more contextual just on the project itself. Yeah. The kind of thing you're making. Right. Yeah, right? So m- maybe maybe there's a certain point where like, it just it's orthogonal to team size, but can't always. It's not always the same. Yeah, a team of fifty working on this kind of project is going to need to be in a lot more communication about uh, uh, their different departmental goals than a team of fifty working on a different project where they can move quicker and rely more on trusting that each other are doing what they need yeah. and with a little bit of knowledge of what each other. Yeah. I'll also add that like another big aspect of trust is yep. like knowing when you have knowledge gaps and yeah. asking for yeah, it or yeah, yeah, yeah. knowing when you want feedback and getting it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it goes both ways for like the person giving the feedback to like, you know, if you if you know that you're coming from the same team and you guys both want to make this a, you know, better game, right? You're gonna you're gonna like if you think about it in that way. Um, it just makes feedback easier and feedback yeah. is really important because it's it's easy to be in a bubble and like think that your work is okay or it, and, it, and it doesn't fit or like you know you just need an, another pair of eyes on something and that's actually like one great thing that our company currently does like every time we do retrospectives or um, milestones we have this phrase of like we genuinely believe everyone tried their best and that mm-hmm. might seem really simple to say yeah but like it actually helps prime people into this this idea yeah, of like yeah. yeah we all tried really hard and yeah. we're all here to help each other up and like Aww. we're here to give feedback that'll be you know beneficial to everyone involved and mm-hmm. so that's another part of trust that's so good i love that phrase yeah <laughs> think about that all week yeah, yeah, I mean, because when a team gets bigger, there's more office politics. So you need to have True. you need to have tools and mechanisms to like you can't let that stuff fester because and if you don't have the communication between people to do that, so sometimes that does need to be a little bit more systemic. Yeah, yeah. Right? One of the things that I really like about um, working at Future Club is we have retrospectives. Um, we have like four. We have four topics we talk about. We talk about what went well. We talk about what didn't go well. We talk about what we could do to improve things. And then the fourth thing we do is we have we give kudos to like particular members of the team that we felt like did a cool thing. Yeah. Um. And so like we'll specifically be like, uh, I mean, I won't give myself kudos. Other people give me kudos, but they'd be like, Stephen, under, under your the- breath, maybe you. <laughs> right. But <laughs> I don't put it in the list. Um, Nailed it again, McGregor. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll be like, Stephen, you uh, coded up this thing really nice or whatever, and it looks really good. Um. And and or something like that, and that makes me feel good because it makes me feel like people yeah. recognize outside of just like people seeing the work that i'm doing in meetings and people going like oh good job steven like it also feels like that's something that they remembered at the end of the two-week sprint or whatever that this was a thing that you did right it makes you feel it makes you feel important in a way yeah. that i think is really valuable that's so interesting you, you described that as a, yeah. as a as a process and julie you're talking before too about the sort of the the regularity of these systems yeah. to to facilitate communication and good attitudes and you know mm-hmm. positive work environments, because on my super small team, yeah, uh, we we do something similar, but it's very much more ad hoc. Okay, yeah, so yeah. so what we do is we just share what we did mm-hmm. whenever we do it, and almost universally, we've kind of just developed a little tiny culture amongst ourselves of just being like hooray. Yeah. or everything yeah cool and like you know it's like it is at- so important um if you're trying to make nice games right if you're trying to yeah. make nice games yeah. you need to have a nice culture and yeah. you need to have a nice and yeah. it's, this actually goes back to the whole like hey you know isn't it interesting that like certain um games foster different like online communities around them yeah. like the, mm-hmm. the fan bases and their attitudes and stuff and it, i think it really does permeate with the workplace too like yeah we yeah. also have like a total section dedicated to to kudos and we take it really really seriously cool. like yeah. it's you know it's so important to give each other support and and to feel open again too especially again communication is so important so like feeling open to ask questions even if you might be embarrassed by them because maybe you should have known about it or something like like it's so important to like get people out of the whole like don't be embarrassed just ask the question and like it'll help everyone else out and we're all here together to like help each other out yeah um, yeah so well it makes the times too when you when you have those meetings where you do have to be critical of each other's work yeah to move forward it's like if you have the unreserved hoorays going on all the time mm-hmm. or or in a structure then it, it it lets you understand that like the 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 challenges that you face the different disagreements you have 
it's so much harder to assume a, a, a um a, a bad faith from somebody else yeah because you've seen them and you've seen their attitude and you've seen them like you know almost i mean i don't know i don't know how in because I'm, I'm trying to think about like how if you just because like what we do is hooray for everything yeah. and when it's time but when it's time to discuss how to move forward we might have disagreements sure but like if that's separate from like uh, the execution or the or the kudos of the execution. Yeah. And I don't know how artificial that is exactly, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit, but it's still really important because it does set a tone right. that lets people communicate openly. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Like, I, the, the, why I like that kudos system is that like, this is, we're set dedicating five minutes to give people props for the things that they've done. Yeah. And this is the place to be genuine about it. And everybody knows that. Whereas like, Maybe sometimes during meetings, like I'll do a coding thing and it maybe took me a day and it was really easy. And they'll still say, "Woo, you did it. Because like they don't know exactly what I did. <laughs> um, um, and so it doesn't necessarily it's not it does, it's not that it feels in um, this this genuine. Right. It's still somehow genius. honest and real. Like, yeah, it's still honest yeah. and real at that moment. But it's a little bit different in the context of the, having the kudos section, because like then, you know, for real that like then you know that like this is the place and they're thinking of you in this moment and it feels more specific i think yeah and, and so like i think like having a having a, a vibe where everybody um is giving congratulations for completing a thing um is is good too because like ultimately yeah. all you're all completing a bunch of different things to make a big thing yeah um and so like having that be your culture i think i'm also much more likely to throw yeah. out work i've done yeah when we've decided we don't need it anymore sure. we're going a different direction mm-hmm. if i understand that that like it was made with the information at the time yeah what we needed and everybody was excited about it yeah being done yeah. even if we immediately chuck it yeah for some yeah. reason i'm just to- i'm totally happy to chuck that stuff i feel that way too yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i i totally get that just developers chucking things <laughs> <laughs> I mean, half of programming is erasing lines. Right. Really, it's, though, it's about it's about the lines you don't ship. <laughs> <laughs> so there were, I you know, I want to make sure we get to two questions that we had on our list. Mm. Um, we spent a lot of the last few minutes, I think, talking about like culture and different ways of supporting your teammates and kind of what that looks like when your team is a different scale. Yeah. But I want to ask one question that will eventually lead into, I think, a good final question for us. So this next question, I think, I'm I'm curious, I'll put this to Julia first, but I'm curious about everyone's thoughts on this. Is it typical in a game dev's career to start in smaller teams and then progressively join larger and larger teams and projects? Yeah, I don't know. You don't know? Yeah. I don't know. Because on one hand, I know a lot of indie devs that have started out very small and yeah, right. have worked their way up. But I also know a lot of people who have gotten into their like favorite like triple a game and then was like you know what i want to do indie games yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah i feel yeah. like it's probably pretty even cross mix hmm. yeah um i mean i, I based on absolutely no data right <laughs> <laughs> well there's a grass is always greener so there's probably a lot more bouncing around teams yeah. up and down um yeah, uh, I, bet, I mean, we've talked a lot about how no one's path is the same, right? Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think this is an ex- probably expression of that is everyone's path is probably entirely unpredictable. Yeah, you know, I was gonna say on instinct, I was gonna say that I've found that indie game indie devs tend to stay indie most of their careers, but I don't know that that's true because I'm thinking about it and like I know a few people who have either left the industry, I guess, um, who I used to work with, or went to work on much larger team mm-hmm. um, or people who just, I guess just jumped into the industry, just straight out wanted to work on larger teams and that's, then they're just, they like it there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I think, I, I guess I have to agree with yeah. Julia. It does just vary yeah. depending on, yeah. and also it varies depending on your experience too, right? Like, cause some people will have good experiences in AAA and they'll just, well, stay there. that's the question I have for you now, Julia, oh. which is like, <laughs> I think it's not, I don't think it's terrible to say, and I don't know if it's true, mm. but I suspect it is, mm. that there are just some people who can't work on larger teams. Sure. Or they're so used to working on a smaller team, or vice versa, right? Yeah. They're so used to being more structured and more of a like nine-to-five AAA job yeah, in, in a yeah. department, that they and they want to do indie, but then they have trouble on a smaller team. Yeah. So I'm guessing, Julia, you've probably dealt with more people who've made that shift. Mm. Um, do you think that's true? And is that something that people can get over if they try or is it something that you that like does everybody eventually adapt or are there people who struggle with it more 
I mean, that's, I feel like uh, that question is more based on personality, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Like, what, 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 how do you work? Like, yeah. and what are your needs as a person? Like some people are super entrepreneurial and they're always going to be entrepreneurial because they don't, they want to own a, a project, right? They don't yeah. want to be part of a bigger team. Yeah. And it's not because they don't want to work with other people. It's just like, I want to own my own destiny, right? Mm -hmm. I want to like control my own future. Yeah. Um, and then there's some people who are like, I can't afford that. I can't, I, I, that's too scary of a risk. I need a nine to five job. I need a salary job. And then there's some people who are like, oh my God, I have two kids and a dog and I cannot work <laughs> 40 hours, you know, 80 hours a week on a, on a project. Like I just can't do that. I need something, you know? So I really think it just depends on the personality and, and the situation that you're in. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's what defines, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it has anything to do with like, you know, whether or not you can or cannot communicate with other people or make an adjustment of, of a large team or a smaller team. I think it just de totally depends on like, where are you at your life? Like, where do you want to be? And like, what makes sense to you based on like what you value? Yeah. 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 I like that. Different for different people. Mm -hmm. I like that way of thinking about it, right? Because what's what is the right fit for you is going to change over time. And a lot of the things that you, you know, you just described them, a lot of the things that dictate what a good fit is are not necessarily like your own like isolated personal preferences because yeah. again, those change over time, but also they're informed by what's going on with your life and what you need right. and what your goals are. So yeah, that's interesting. So like the long answer is that and the short answer is it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Always it depends. Always yeah. it depends. Well, uh, let's talk about your experience then. Like what were the cha biggest challenges you had, especially going from your four-person team where you where it was your project that you owned it with uh with the, uh, the you know, uh your spouse and the other couple, right? Like mm -hmm. um going from that to Spryfox, what was the biggest challenges and maybe what were the most exciting things that you felt that you uh, took to uh, quickest? So the biggest challenges are like just adjusting to communication, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Communication and adjusting to just like a bigger game system in general. Like mm -hmm. it's a very different project uh, working at a like for a small indie and like the things that I was doing are a little different. Like I have to think like uh, I have to think less about like the nitty gritty of like puzzle design and think more like, oh, how am I going to communicate to people? And like, how am I going to project manage myself, right, mm. better? And then just like learning about like much bigger systems, right? Like I can't know everything about a project if it's so big. So it's just like learning a lot about uh, the different the different systems and the the immensity of the project if that makes any sense yeah um, and adjusting to just like yeah I think communication and culture uh, even though like if they're like it has been like really awesome to like work with them it's just different when it's like your husband that you can just bother all the time and you have your own weird <laughs> like think about like vocabulary or like terms or yeah. uh, so I feel like um, one of the things that I'm still struggling with is just like communicating to people very clearly. Like I'll have an idea and I'll kind of like ramble on and people will be like, I don't really understand that. And it's like, just if you boil it down, it's like, Oh, we're all on the same page. But like, for some reason, I'm still like not communicating that clearly. So it's just a lot of like trial and error to try to figure out like how, Okay, how can I like get across clearly and correctly and not like go off <laughs> into like another? <laughs> and I mean, also part of that is like personal too. I'm like very ADHD, so it's like hard to just be like, oh no, <laughs> try to like communicate clearly and not go on a tangent. So um, off into the yeah. design dimension. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can relate to that. I will very frequently when we have our meetings, I will will have like an difference of opinion on something mm -hmm. and then i will spend way too much time explaining my opinion because i don't think they understand it even though i'm fully certain i've like lost the argument mm. and i'm like and i'm fine with that right yeah, like i've yeah. i've already agreed like oh, okay i get it this is probably the better way to go but i just want to make sure you get what i was saying yeah so that you know and then there's like it's a huge waste of time <laughs> <laughs> oh sometimes i mean sometimes it's, i think it's helpful to go through those conversations yeah. In a team context, right? Yeah. When you're trying to be productive together because it, it is helpful to understand how like your team members think. Yeah. And so then that can sometimes make it 
easier and faster to communicate about the next thing yeah. that you're wrong about. <laughs> she says knowingly with, with the hindsight of experience. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Julia, let's end on the flip side of that question, which is just what was the thing that maybe surprised you, maybe you were excited about to go in that really like that you took to like a fish to water about you know moving to a, a team the size you're at now? What did I take to? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I I mean, I got into, so I, I don't know. I found my own like uh, groove into like managing playtesting. Like I found Ooh. like that was like really great and like Red. getting everyone involved in the regular playtesting just what felt really natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm super, ex- <laughs> I'm super excited about working for Sprite Fox. They have been like a, a company I have admired for a very, very long time. And one of, you know, the challenges and benefits of like working for a company like that is like, it's really hard to like get over this starstruckness, if that makes Uh, any sense. Like, oh, I, you know, you know, and just like realizing like, no, okay, we're like coworkers, we're working together. And (laughs) And to be fair, like everyone in the company is very, very humble, even though like it's like, oh my gosh, it's you. Um, so <laughs> it's not, but, but but it's still like it's a little hard to like to to get into um, just like naturally. And that's, you know, I think a lot on me, like I'm very like timid. So it's uh, it just takes a little bit to like, yeah. open up. Well, what, um, I'm, what I'm hearing is that the same challenges that you describe are also the most exciting things to learn and adapt to right which is that's a very game designer kind of response so i i'm i think that's a great 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 answer (laughs) well i'll i'll even like one of the one of the things that i've taken away from being at spray fox um one of the like the lead designers had pets told me that like really sticks with me is that like you your perception of people will actually define people it's Hmm. um it's like it's like if you believe in somebody or if you trust in somebody then they'll kind of live up to your expectations so always like make sure that like what you want to get out of somebody is like what what you're thinking about them if that makes sense and it's it really stuck with me in a very positive way which is like if you believe in somebody and you support somebody they're going to like rise to meet the occasion and so like just having this mental model of like positivity and support is like so important and just like i don't know just 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 something that's really struck me which is like you know people become who you who you see them as i think that Mm. is what the line was and it yeah it's just it's awesome it's an awesome line because it's like yeah yeah you want people to be their best selves you really have to like project that and encourage that yeah so and imagine 50 of them all doing that for each other yeah. <laughs> right? That's, that's powerful. That is. Yeah. That's very powerful. You can take on the sun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Julia, it's super exciting to hear you talk about Spry Fox um, because, you know, we met before you were there. We met while you were working with the game agency, and that's where I am now. Um, and I've been hearing you like talk on and off about your work at Spry Fox over the last few months. Um, and I, you know, I know you can't talk about all the details, but tell listeners a little bit about what, what's up, what's going on over there. Yeah. So we're working on a, um, a cozy MMO. Um, we really believe in like fostering like nice games, just like you guys. Yeah. So I want to, we want to like create a, like a, a space where people can grow friendships and support each other and, uh, and play together in a very like positive way. So that's. That's the project we're working on. And yeah, you can follow us more um, and to figure out like when when we can talk more about the project. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have you back on when the news is broken. So yeah, so you can find Spry Fox on, um, on all the socials, I'm assuming. We'll post links to that on our webpage, uh, nicegames.club. And for Julia, you can find Julia on LinkedIn and on the Nice Games Club Discord channel which we will also, of course, link in the show notes. And, you know, we say it all the time. It's nicegames.club slash discord. Uh, so you can come in and ask Julia more questions about what it's like working on a big team and, you know, see if, you know, if and when she can talk a little bit more about the project that she's working on. 
Um, try to pry details out of her and she could say no repeatedly. That's fun. <laughs> that's something to look forward to. <laughs> yep, that's fun. And then, of course, yeah, for show notes and any additional links from today's conversation, you can go to our website, nicegames.club, and pull up the show notes for this episode. And that is our show for this week. You can visit us on Twitter and Mastodon at Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets and toots about game dev resources and cats with jobs. Yeah, cats with jobs. Yay, cats! We like- Steven's over there just shaking his head. <sighs> yeah. I've had enough cats today. You're not a cat person? No. <laughs> He's not a dog person either. I'm not an animal person. <laughs> well, I like snakes, actually, so I take it back. Okay. Anyways. More snakes. Oh, moving on. Noted. Noted. More snake stuff. Um, we like hearing from you, whether you're talking to us about cats or snakes or games. So tweet and toot back or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon, where you can support the show, and you can get stuff, including ad-free episodes. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub, and if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by, you guessed it, nicegames.club slash discord, and say hello, and talk to Julia. That's it for this week. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. Nice.